Guardadores. A dedicated dad and long-distance parent, I'm raising two boys in two countries, and in each episode, I invite another dad to join me in a podcast adventure to talk about our journey as parents. We will discuss the messiness of modern dadding and the challenges of long-distance parenting. At the end of each episode, I will be checking in with psychologist and fellow dad Todd Kettner as he shares his insights into parenthood. My name is Blue, and I am a Dad Without Borders. Hello, and welcome back to the show. Today, I'm talking to Adam Brewer from Conscious Dads, and I'm excited to share his journey with you. And he's very open about his experience with depression um, as he was becoming a father. He's a lifelong meditator, and one of the things that he does at Conscious Dads is support fathers. Um, to become more conscious parents and largely through meditation and breath work and some other techniques. So excited to share uh, his story with you. And at the end of that conversation, uh, I managed to squeeze in a, a quick chat with Sean Larson, who is another psychologist I'll be working with on the show. And we're doing a more in-depth introduction in the next couple of weeks with him. But I wanted to squeeze in a quick chat with him today about postpartum depression. Um, is it a thing? And if so, what does that look like? Great conversation today and a really great um, check-in with Sean Larson at the end as well. So as ever, please enjoy. Um, hey, man, thank you so much for joining me for the podcast today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Absolutely my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to the chat. Yeah, same. Yeah, when I was doing a little bit of research there, I noticed there's a few similarities just in what your stage of life and becoming a dad. And so I think it's going to be really interesting to, to hear your journey. So, hey, let me, um, let me do a little introduction and then you can fill in the gaps. Let's see how well I did with my research here. Um, so you're living in L.A. You've been there since you were around 26. You're now 50 years young. Because it is all in state of mind. Yes. I, I'm not far off. So That's I'm kind right. of, you know, so it's in the mind. 50 years young, uh, you've got a life partner, you've got a father to a young boy, and you're essentially, I guess, a health and wellness entrepreneur running conscious dads. That's right. Which is to support new fathers or maybe men. Maybe you could, yeah. How did I do so far? Spot on. I mean, I think you've nailed it so far, my man. So, so let's let's jump into conscious dads because I do I've been really enjoying following you on Instagram. What is conscious dads? Like could you just sum that up in a nutshell? I would say soundbite. It is we are in my opinion, I am the premier meditation breath work provider for dads. And sometimes there's a focus on new dads, but really I believe meditation and breath work will serve all dads, regardless of the season you're in as a father, whether you are a dad to be a new dad, uh, been around the block for a while, it's we're all going to come up against the storm seasons, if you will, in 
in being a father. Fatherhood is an amazing journey without, without question, but we all will experience turbulence and we will have stress. And what I help fathers do is self-regulate, learn modalities, in this case, meditation and breath work as tools to be able to be the eye in the storm, right? To be calm when life and our children and situations present themselves where it feels like things are, are coming off the tracks. And it's our, I believe our job as fathers to do the work on ourselves enough behind the scenes. So when our kids experience the emotional highs and lows that come with the evolutionary arc of being a human being, uh, we're able to be there for them to, to be, um, yeah, the rock for them when, when possible and to come from a place where there's a level of equanimity or even mindedness more often than not, because it, listen, none of us is perfect and we're all works in progress. And so we're all going to have those moments, excuse me, but that's the, the bones of it. It's just is giving fathers the tools of, of meditation and breath work so that they will, it's, it's like what I like to do though is, is, teach a very specific technique to meditation where it's, it's what is called self-guided meditation rather than guided audio meditations. It's not to say they're bad, but this is like, you can, you know, give someone a guided meditation and it's like the old say, you know, give somebody fish and you, you feed them for a day. But if you, if you teach them to fish, you feed them for a lifetime. And so giving somebody a very specific self-guided meditation practice that doesn't require music, doesn't require headphones, uh, just you and a willingness to sit um, and be still for a bit, I believe will serve fathers wow. for a lifetime. Totally. Yeah. The, so the breath work, yeah. is that, that's different to meditation. How would you sum up breath work? They, they kind of work hand in hand, but yeah. they're very different mediums, if you will. Um, because I would say breath work, ultimately what we're doing is we're working on um, self-regulating the nervous system, right? Because the nervous system is ultimately broken down as the autonomic nervous system and as the parasympathetic and the sympathetic. And, you know, more often than not, we're either in this fight or flight mode, the sympathetic nervous system, or it's in a space where we're in a parasympathetic rest or digest. And there's stuff in between, right? There's what they just call balanced states as well. But through controlling the duration and location of how we breathe, we can self-regulate almost immediately what's taking place within our body. And attendant to that, you know, they have things like the heartbeat, uh, the depth and location of the breath. These will affect brain waves, right? And, and then that has a whole host of benefits from it as well. So, um, so right. the breath work, in my opinion, is, is focusing on the nervous system. And then the meditation ultimately is working on the brain, right? Because there's so many studies on, you know, what's happening for longtime meditators and areas of the brain that are turned on, turned off. And so they, they both, it's kind of like this, this circular wheel, you, you know, you affect what's happening in the brain, you're going to affect the nervous system and, and vice versa. So yeah, they're, totally. they're kind of like, yeah. I guess that I can relate to the breath work only in a really basic sense of something I've done with both my boys is when they're kind of getting elevated their energy for whatever maybe they're hungry 
dehydrated, tired, whatever, but maybe I'm feeling that too. I can kind of, my, I get elevated. And so the simple thing that I did a few years ago with uh, my first boy is just sat him on my lap and we just take three breaths together. Beautiful. We do it together through the nose, out the mouth and really kind of like, you know, sort of, how would you say? So uh, almost like in a comical sense, you kind of like, <gasps> And do the noise and the like, you know, and everything with it. And it really works just to kind of cut, but also calm me down. But that's the only breath work I've sort of, yeah, done. And it just sort of, sort of seems so natural in the moment to do that. But even with the two-year-old, he's great because he'll do it. Yeah. He just take, it pauses everybody. Just like, okay, let's just step back for a sec before we just keep going. And just, and usually, yeah, that breathing does help kind of just chill everybody out a little bit. Absolutely. And it creates a gap. It creates a little gap. Right. And that's, that's so important. So I think it's fantastic that you, you did that even in a playful manner um, because it has a huge effect on and kids love kids learn through imitation, right? Pretty much everything from language to walking to this, that, and the other. And if they, if you are willing to, to demonstrate that for them, they're going to follow along. It's the, the mirror neurons in the brain. And they're so open and receptive to it. So I applaud you for doing that, man. That's really cool. And actually, I want to, so I will put the, in the show notes, I will put the links obviously to your Instagram and your website. So something that makes me think of straight away, because you're wearing your cap, is I really like your logo of, it's two people. It's a, what looks like, and I think it's probably meant to be a dad and a child next to each other in the pose of meditation. And something that I, to take that breathing that I just mentioned further, this summer, when my oldest comes back from the UK, where he's living during the school part of the year, um, is to kind of start doing that with him, to try Mm. and find a simple way where we do some, hey, let's do some meditation and try and find, and I haven't looked into it further than that, but just your your logo there, Mm. I I love it. Thank you, man. I really appreciate that. Exactly what I want to be doing more of with my kid yeah um, so hey the, you know what the, another bit of my research i have to like this is this is a bonding moment between us yeah. we both have this and i'm outing myself right now a, a weakness for justin bieber music <laughs> i'm actually yeah, got a new song out right now that i keep listening to <laughs> oh, um, weakness that's funny i say weakness but yeah. it's uh the um me myself my partner one of the things we bonded over was actually ju- we both quietly admitted to each other, but no one else that we like Justin Bieber, and we bonded over uh, three bottles of red wine in a teepee, lip syncing to Justin Bieber songs as it blared out from the from the. Uh, Good on you, man! I always I always jokingly would say everything's a little better with a little Bieber. Hey, you know? yeah. <laughs> keep it light, right? That's, keep it light. That's exactly right, man. He definitely does that. So yes, we do have that that commonality, my man. That's funny. <laughs> Just thought I'd share that one. We, yeah, we're um, putting it out there yeah exactly why not right so let's talk about the parenting thing because like me you can well similar in our 40s we became dads and i have to say i was quite happy on my path avoiding commitment in the sense of the traditional trappings of a family home where you have to do a nine to five job and you know the entrepreneurial spirit kind of might get squashed not for everybody, but for me, I kind of felt like I had to kind of show up on a day to day with the stability of that. How was it for you becoming a father? And you like, were you quite happy 
in your life up to that point? Or was it something, did you ever, because I didn't really see myself becoming a dad and it was a big shock and it really threw me through the ringer emotionally, um, actually on all levels. It just, it was like a huge turnaround for me. How was it for you? Like, what very was similar. Yeah. yeah, very similar. We also have that in common. I mean, most of my life, if not the entirety of my life, um, I had zero desire to be a father. Um, and I, I've often said, even hearing, it was so to the extreme that I used to, like when I hear a child cry, I literally thought it was like nails on a chalkboard to mock to me. And I was just like, oh my, why would anyone choose that? Uh, that's kind of where I was. And, and I was, I was happy or so I thought living out life, uh, uh, child-free, you know, I, I can't even, I would say even on a solo journey, you know, I wouldn't, I believe I was doing some deep dive spiritual work for many years. I did that from like 2003 to about 2010. So about seven years where, um, I really renounced all forms of pleasure and just was into meditation, contemplation, introspection, and um, would have been happy going to a mountaintop, frankly, and just kind of being in stillness, being in connection with nature. And I thought that's what I was going to be doing. And then lo and behold, you know, I, I just, I believe there was a soul cry and I didn't even really realize it or recognize it. But, you know, I met this incredible woman, Liz, my partner at 47 years of age. And the interesting thing about it is at the time, a mutual friend connected us. And part of the reason she thought we would be a great match is because she was like, neither one of you wants kids. Absolutely. I'll connect. Right. And so that's what brought us initially together. And then just to make a long story short, um, I think it was four months into the relationship, uh, we discovered she was pregnant. And it, it really turned my world upside down. And uh, you, know, you, know, you may have read my story, but I'm happy to share it. I mean, it, it, it completely rocked my world to the point where um, I didn't know what to do with that. And what ended up happening ultimately is it, I experienced tremendous anxiety around it. And that worked in tandem with depression, just kind of going like, whoa, this was not in the picture anywhere for me. And so anxiety and depression took place. That led itself into tremendous insomnia. I had never really had a problem sleeping in my life. And uh, I fell into insomnia from that. And I'm, it was literally about two months of insomnia and I mean, no sleep and you go more than two weeks without sleep and you're in big, big trouble. I mean, in, in wartime, I believe they use sleep deprivation as a torture and I completely literally lost my mind and um, ended up, you know, having what they call a psychotic break. And it, it landed me in a psych ward for two weeks and ultimately took me away from Liz and the, the lead up to the delivery and the birth of our son for three months. So wow. three out of, so three out of the nine months I was away and trying to wrap my head and my heart around what, what just happened, right. In terms of me, but it, it, bigger, it was bigger than that. Like certainly I, there was a, there was the, 
the selfishness aspect, like, whoa, my world's upside down. I had just come from this place where I felt like I was on, on the highest point of my life. And now I've just had a psychotic break around being a father. How does that happen? Wow. So what do, what do you think, like, where did that, did you figure out where that stemmed from? Because for me, I know it was my, just the idea of the middle-class family where you have to do the nine to five. I was very much into being free, free spirited and venture. And I needed more than, you know, this sort of little, I don't know how to say it really. It's just like this little nuclear family sort of setup. I was really fearful of that for some reason, because I feel like I was running from that most of my life. Yeah. Do you like, was the, how was your upbringing? Was that part, like, was there anything in there? Great question. I would say, on some level, maybe my upbringing was good. I mean, I, I was my parents. Same, same. Yeah. yeah. Parents, we grew up in a, in a middle class uh, home. You know, I had an older brother, two sisters, and my parents were very loving. Um, they were together 26 years and finally divorced after, after that. Um, but I would say most memories of my childhood were pleasant. And, and, and same, to be honest, same thing. Me? My parents okay. together, everything was fine. But for yeah. some reason, it just wasn't that wasn't the vision that I had for my life. And yeah. so I had a fear about that yeah. and plastic stuff coming in and all the stuff that comes with kids as well. And that materialistic kind of side of life with a family. And I just had this, yeah, I had a big panic about it. I get it. I would say that what one thing from the childhood though, upon reflection that I didn't see a lot of though was joy. Okay. Enjoying their relationship, enjoying our own lives. It, it felt like there was an intensity to it. And I was always, by nature, a very intense individual, very driven, you know, and to a point where it was, I was anxious, right? Hyper anxious about it. At the same time, tremendously sensitive, right? So I would always take everything to heart. So I don't recall my parents like having a lot of joy between each other, never really went out and socialized. So I think in, there was almost like a coloring of the idea of it as like, I'd be, I would be experiencing no joy in life on some level, if I went that familial route, yeah, if you went. Yeah, totally. So, and, I, and I, again, not even consciously, but I believe so much is subconscious, right? Yeah. So that yeah. was, that was a big part of it. And then certainly there were the elements of, of just committing to a being in this case, a child, not, not my partner, but a child, it's a lifetime commitment. Yeah. Right. And so just the, I, I was kind of like, Whoa, I don't know that one, I want to do that. That's where I was when I went into the state. And then two, I was like, I don't know if I'm capable of it for that matter. Cause I had never seen myself fully, truly commit to anything I believe. And so this is kind of, when you have a child, it's the, if you're going to put your heart into it, and if you're going to be present and you're going to be, try to be the most conscious dad you can possibly be, it's probably the biggest commitment ever right? You can, you can never have, cause it's a lifetime and it, it's a never ending process. So certainly there was that as well. And then it was also like an existential crisis, I believe, because for whatever reason, some, you know, I even thought maybe it was a level of spiritual bypass that was in there, but I was like, man, I literally just want to continue my spiritual pursuits and you know, go deeper into meditation and anything and everything that was attended to that. But what I discovered from becoming a father is I believe it's the ultimate spiritual path uh, on many, many levels. So it's kind of like I, I was resisting it. And the old saying, you know, what you resist persists. 
And it's probably there's medicine in there that you need more than anything. And I once heard someone say beautifully, I thought that if you're not, if your soul's not fully aligned with your life purpose, sometimes cataclysmic events come in to shape shift you and or totally change the trajectory of your life. And it may come looking like it's like, oh, this is the end of the world. In my case, like I literally went to hell, but it was, I believe for me, a necessary agent in my life to get me to that which my soul's purpose was. And ultimately it was not only to become a father, but to become a conscious father. And we'll talk more about that later. Yeah, yeah. But it's just like, it's, it's, it's been fascinating because somewhere in the midst of that three month period, pretty much like right in the middle of it, um, I had this realization that it's like, the, it would call it an awakening, if you will. It's like perhaps the most noble thing a man can do in this lifetime is to be a loving, present, um, connected father. And, um, and I was like, there it is. Cause I had, you know, it's like a lot of things you think, Oh, it's, it's the, it's the fame, it's the money, it's the, the accolades and all these kind of things. But it, all of a sudden in that moment, it all just fell away. And I was like, that shit, pardon my French doesn't mean a hill of beans. What is most important is what has been presented to me in life. And it's perhaps the most beautiful thing I could have ever experienced. And it was like, psh, and it just started a healing, even though it, it took the whole thing, took a process because those, you don't go through that depth of intensity to like all of a sudden, oh, fine. But it's, it started me on a healing path right away. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. So, right. And so you're, so clearly your identity has shifted now to being a parent was that identity shift was it at the birth like you obviously went through a could i say meltdown or yeah for sure for all intents and purposes it was um, yeah and so that was before the birth then once the birth happens was it an easy because i remember for me i was really like almost like overly involved in baby fat maybe not maybe it was the appropriate thing really but sometimes i look back and i was trying to be the father that I had, which is mm. working, working hard and really focused on that. And then also trying to be there for the baby too, but almost to a crazy point where I, and I think at around 16 months, I remember looking at my child, uh, my oldest child, who's seven, going to be eight this year. And suddenly I really felt like something happened, something clicked. And I, mm. maybe he called me daddy or something like that. But then I was like, I was fully, like I was already there, but it was really like on a deep emotional level. It was about 16 months where I was like, okay, I almost accepted that I'm dad now. Like mm. was it, for you, was it pretty quick with the birth? Did you like how? Absolutely. You it was, I would say it was almost instantaneous, which was, you know, I never would have expected it either, but being there uh, for, because let me even slightly back, but I was going to say for being there for the birth of my child and witnessing it all. And it was a natural birth and labor was 40 hours. And I mean, I've, the strength and, and awesomeness of my partner, Liz was just like, Oh my God, this is unbelievable. What this being is willing to go through to, to have this child come through. And then to be there, it was like, I was like, Whoa, my heart just cracked open. And I was like, Oh man, here it is. But I guess what I was going to say is, is 
prior to that, with everything that had happened where I was away for three years, I wasn't even sure if I was going to be able to witness the birth of my son because we were in such a place where, you know, she was kind of like, who's going to show up, you know, <laughs> is it, is this, uh, this heartfelt centered Adam, or is this the Adam who completely lost his, his stuff? Right. So we weren't even sure, you know, cause she had to kind of, kind of be thoughtful, understandably so in terms of what, what I was going to bring to the table. And I was able to, through action, not through word, but through action, show her that I was going to be there. And I, I intended to be there as long as it would be okay to do that. And so being in that space where I was privileged to, to be there for the last, you know, I think it was like three or four months leading up to the delivery. And then to be there on that day, I just knew immediately, I was like, this is, this is my new identity. And then as it would play out, because she had gone through such an intense delivery and labor. So for about the first month after my son was born, she had to be in bed. She was bedridden most of the time. And so I had to do a lot. I immediately was thrown into the fire and, you know, was like doing a lot of, of this, that, and the other trying to, as, as, parents have to do uh, because I wanted her to be able to recover to the best of her ability and get her strength back. And so um, I think I was, I was granted that situation to be able to really step into the role and become a dad. And allow that connection with the baby, which is, yeah. Not always the case sometimes if mums are really sort of right in there. So that's great that you have that space to do that. And I think it's often not that, right? It's like you just said, it's not always the case because a lot of times fathers experience what you experienced or shared that it's like, there's, it's like, I didn't feel the immediate love. I didn't feel the connection. It comes a little yeah. later for a lot of men. Totally. So, so yeah, yeah I, I feel a little, you know, blessed in that way. Totally. And yeah, it was again, similar, similar there with the, with the birth, I think it was, and I might have this wrong, but it's something like 36 hours laboring, mm. which mm. is just, yeah, like what a journey to go through as a mom. And so as a dad, sometimes on the sidelines, just kind of sometimes feeling a little helpless, you know, and like not understanding your role and like, oh, am I meant to be here or is it, you know, and it is hard. Um, so coming to being a dad later in life, um, as like I say, the same for me, do you think that's been a help to like, is that because you're older now and you've been through a lot of life? I know it was a hard transition for me in some ways becoming a dad, but at the same time I can now look, I, I mean, now for sure, like I'm, I don't climb as much. I just, I'm don't do the things that I love and I will get back to that, but for I'm sure. happy to let those things go. Cause I do feel like I've lived a lot of life. Like, how do you feel like as an older dad? Are you conscious of that? Yeah, for sure. And I think that's, it's a great uh, question one and just take on it because I think people could probably look at it two ways, but for me, being an older dad is the best. And what I mean by that is pretty much what you just said. I feel like I've already lived a lot of lives in these 50 years that I've been on this planet and had an opportunity to pursue a lot of things that ultimately, if I look at, we're probably um, feeding my ego or just things I wanted to accomplish or um, do. And what I thought was what was going to bring me happiness. 
And so I'm grateful to have been able to do all those things and pursue all those things prior to this moment, because what I feel being older and having gone through a lot of that has allowed me to do is have an incredible desire to be as present with my son as I possibly can be. And not only like just emotionally, but just like physically, right? It's we, we have our lives set up in such a way that most days, you know, I'm, I'm spending probably chunks of like four to six hours where I am solo parenting my son almost every single day while she's doing work. And then we just kind of like go back and forth. It's like a little bit of a trade-off because I don't have a traditional nine to five. I'm doing more of the entrepreneurial thing as is Liz. And, you know, I love that um, because it's so one, I want to be as present as I can, because I believe that's often a missing element in so many kids' lives because the traditional model has again, traditional model, not the right model or the way it should be, has the, the man going off to work, right? It's kind of the old school idea. And, and then showing up after work and he's tired, he's, he's just there. But we've set up our life in a slightly different way. And I really want to be a present energy. And being a little bit older has also allowed me to, I believe through all my work that I've done on myself, because I've done a ton of work on myself just to grow and evolve and become more, to be self-aware and um, to kind of watch how I think, how I speak, how I act around my son so that old patterns and old tapes don't just come out. Um, Even though I didn't have a plan going into being a father, right? It's just... It's, it's just life has allowed itself through all the work I've done to say, okay, I, you just, you, you check yourself before you wreck yourself, right? And yeah. um, it's important to do that. And so patience is a big thing I believe I, I bring to the table as an yeah. older father and just a great appreciation for what I'm going to say is the miracle that is our child, Right. And because it is, I mean, life in general is a miracle. I mean, we could go there, but this little being coming in uh, is just, they're miraculous. And having gone through so much stuff and no longer really kind of feeling like I need it anymore, I get an opportunity to, to truly see my child as a miracle and, and want to just love up on them and and continue to, to see that and hold that space for them. Totally. I think that's a good point. The, um, the patience when you're a bit older and being able to like really, you know, what I like actually on some ways, I find it really calming because now I don't have to worry about the stuff that you mentioned, like climbing a certain grade or, you know, whatever career goal or, you know, or at least for a while when they're very young, you can put some of that stuff to the side and actually really be present. And it's kind of a relief in mm. some ways I find it's like such a joy to not worry about my ego and all these other things. It's just really, I just want to be a good parent and be present. And actually I'll say this about being an older parent because I did take up skateboarding as I often mentioned in the podcast, you know, when I was 45. Good on you. I something, it's so just cause it's fun. And I felt yeah. like that's been a really good way to connect with my seven year old. And now he was on a scooter, which is quite typical when they're young. Now he's on a skateboard and so we're very much learning together and growing together in that one activity. I put pads on. It's pretty safe. I haven't really fallen or done anything crazy. Um, but it keep, it's keeping me young. Mm. Being an older dad, but having young kids, it's like 
I want to be mountain biking in 10 years. I want to be running with them. So it's gonna, you know, it's almost like I'm building a training regime just to be able to keep up with them. As my dad, you know, (laughs) I I don't want to be sitting on the couch while they're off having fun. I get it. Absolutely. Right. And being an older dad. And it's weird because that does enter into your mind. I'm like, man, you know, when my child's like 20, I'm going to be like 70 years old, you know, and it's like, Back in the day, 70s is pretty darn old. But these days, right? Well, with yeah, yeah, but we we've been fortunate to be able to, you know, have more self-care um, along the way than certainly that I did with my than my dad did. Um, and so yeah, we I think we can 70 doesn't have to be what it was in the past. Totally. And just taking care of ourselves. But yeah. you speak to a great idea too, because I I I believe right, every stage they say that your child goes through is beautiful and has its own unique qualities. And you're going to love something about it. You're also going to have challenges within each, but the first seven years are so important in the development of the child and in their belief systems and um, feelings of self-worth, self-esteem, feeling like they have a voice, so many different things. And their brain waves are, are often like in what they call the theta state, which is kind of like where deep meditators go. And it's like, you almost are just downloading so much. And, and so as a parent, if I can load up one end and I hope to be present for all of it, obviously, but if I can load up and really be there, I want to be there within those first seven years and, and, and be a vital part of his, feeling of safety and love from the father figure in his life and being emotional and being playful, like you, like you said, and putting aside all of the the things that I feel like I could have brought to the table that I didn't want to layer on him. Right. You know, and it could even be as simple as, gosh, I had the biggest fear of the ocean for most of my life and had no desire to go in it. But I was like, you know what? I don't want my child to have that, right? So I had a choice leading up to it. And I worked on that and, and found a love for going in the ocean because you know that's one small example that I was like, I'm not going to pass that on to him because he doesn't necessarily have to believe that. I want him to have his own feelings and belief about things without my interjection, right? If yeah, you will. Yeah, yeah. That's funny you say that because we sometimes talk about this just on the lake here. I have this fear of deep water. I get but actually, it. Seth has too. So mm. I think this is going to be another challenge that we have to go through together because he really yeah. is. And I'm the same. I don't know where it comes from. Probably watching Jaws as a kid. Yeah, for sure. But it just seems to be this human thing where he's like, yeah, he's in the water. He's like, I don't like it. I don't want to be in there. Mm. So we'll have, to, we'll have to figure that one out. But yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And it's following, sometimes taking their lead in the look, they're showing an interest here. So skateboarding. Mm. So I'm going to go on that journey too, just so I can be present. Like you say, in the younger years, because yeah. I think you're right. Seven and I'm seeing it now, just we go to the skate park together. And now of course the, the other bigger kids or kids his age turn up. He wants to be playing with them now. So he's mm. starting to be drawn to the peers more than daddy. So yep. I think you're absolutely right. Like soak it up when you can, eh? Um, no doubt. So when you're becoming a dad or in the early stages, where do you go for 
for advice, information about different developmental stages? Do you just like so many of us just kind of figure it out? Do you have a peer group of dads? Do you Google stuff, read books? Where would you go in these early years for help? Great question. Read some books initially um, as a starting point, right? And, and two of them that really landed for me, one was a book called No Bad Kids. And then a second one was called Parenting with Presence. And so that's where I began. And I recommend most fathers pick up some books on parenting in general, because you don't want to just go into a completely blind. And then I've been blessed to have an, a partner who thinks along very similar lines. And, and so she, in terms of just parenting styles, but she's somebody who is a voracious researcher and looks to say, oh, I'm going to pull from this book or this ideology that's out there. And then anything she finds, she's been sharing with me. And so we'll sit and chat about ideas that, that come up and, and say, how, how does this resonate? How, what's this going to look like as we do what we do? And then there's some things on social media I turn to, some incredible um, pages that have very useful information in terms of what I would just call positive parenting, if you will. There's a course that I personally recently signed up for called Positive Parenting Solutions. And I just found it tremendously valuable in looking at ideas of discipline, and, and looking at old as old school ideas like punishment versus saying, you know what, they're more modern ways. I don't know modern. I'm gonna, I, I hesitate to say it, but I'm going to say it. Evolved ways of providing consequences for actions that may not be desirable. And if they're repeatable, how do you deal with them? And gives it a language and, and a step-by-step -step way of dealing with things. Yeah. That had I not started to look at, I would have been like, you know, not aware that I was even really doing anything that potentially would be harming my child in the long run. Right. So that's kind of, I, I hope that's not too so do much. You guys, do you guys come to like, have you found it quite easy to come together and come up with a plan if you like, or for, for different things? It could be sleep. It could be other things. Is that quite an easy process for you guys? Tremendously easy. Yeah. And I, and I think not everybody falls into that camp, but we are very lucky that we pretty much see eye to eye on parenting styles, how we're going to do things, creating a plan. That's you know, awesome. It, yeah. And if, and if I kind of drift or something, she's there to remind me in a very soft, loving way, like, ah, you know what, that was kind of, maybe we should try. She's only, only because I'm still learning too. Yeah. It is that kind of thing where it's like, you're doing it wrong. That doesn't It happen. sounds to me what you just said about sitting on the couch and coming together and sharing information is that you have a good, which I don't think all of us have. We're good here. Actually, we're very open and we talk a lot, but yeah, I think communication between partners is so important when you're raising kids. And it's easy to get, you know, kind of shut off in your room. But I think when you come together with the information that you've got and just, yeah, openly talk about it, it's so important. Really, really important. Now, that open table and just the willingness. And by the way, I mean, that extends to everything in life these days. It's like, even if you have, you know, polarized opinions, it's, it's like a willingness to soften some of the angularity and say, you know what, I want to listen. I want to hear because there's something in here. And so, but it's, it relates to all, but definitely it relates to parenting and being able to raise a child. Uh, totally. Do yeah. you, so do you find yourself 
like I like unconsciously, uh, maybe more more consciously now. I think um, I bec- I have become more aware actually of how I was raised and how I've ended up mirroring some of those things, but yet bringing in a more modern approach for me, which is maybe. I don't want to say working less, but I have a four day work week, for example. So I make sure that there's lots of quality time in the week to spend with my kids, which back then, I think, you know, the old way was, you know, that like you say, the dad goes away to work and all the rest of it. But there's definitely elements of that that I've kept in. Discipline would be one. I have very strong boundaries. I just find that it works for me. I mm. love routine. I find routine helps me as yes. much as a kid. Kids yep. thrive in routine, but I do too. Yep. Do you find yourself mirroring any of the stuff from your childhood, from your upbringing, the good stuff? Yeah, yeah I would say the good stuff. Definitely the routines. Um, and that's something I learned very early on to a point where I believe, you know, it sometimes could shoot me in the foot because I'm so patterned, right? And I like oh, yeah. everything. Oh, yeah, it's ridiculous. But that's one of the gifts of fatherhood, because I think when you become a father, on some levels, that stuff goes out the window. You've got to let go a bit, right? Yeah. And I talk about it, you know, it's like developing an adaptability quotient is really important as an evolutionary step as as a father, if we're just talking about fathers, because um, otherwise you're going to, you're going to not only cause yourself tremendous amounts of stress, but you're going to cause your, your child unnecessary stress. If you're trying to fit them into a box, because yes, they, they routines and patterns are important, but one of my spiritual teachers said, yes, you know, it's like have foundational pillars or structures, but stay wide open at the top because this is a progressive universe that is ever evolving, shifting, changing. And the more we can mirror the wisdom of the universe, the more we're going to find ourselves living in alignment with something that feels better to our soul. And that's super important as as a parent, because these these children, as I mentioned, I, I believe come in as these like limitless, powerful beings. And we are so often almost immediately trying to put them into a box. And, and we put labels on them. We say, this is the way things have to be done. And in fact, that's not remotely true. That's one's belief systems being imposed on the child. And, and it's like most of us, if we really get down to it, don't know anything. And it's like, we have ideas, but it's like, what I try to do as a parent is say, one of the greatest gifts I give my child is to not put them into a box or say, as an example, from my past, because I played soccer and that's something I did, you're going to play soccer as an, as an example. No, it's like, if the kid wants to, great. If they don't allow them to express themselves in a way, but don't try to live out your dreams on your child. I believe that's a tremendous disservice that many parents do. Yeah, totally. So as a it sounds like from coming from meditation, having that kind of discipline has actually been a positive then as a parent for you. But how's it with the control though? Like, do you find that you want to sometimes, do you feel that kind of, because I do, I get frustrated when he's, not, I'm like, I just want to be able to control this situation. Yeah. I'm getting frustrated <laughs> and I have to walk away. Absolutely. Well, that's it. Right. And I believe that's, that's a very evolved moment, right? To be able to say, I have to walk away, create space. Because if you feel you're going to get in there and be a micromanager, you're taking away that opportunity for the child to have the sovereign experience, right? To do it. I'm the exact same way, by the way. You know, it's like, 
I'm so particular. It's like, I'm a very linear being, right? Where it's like, I like to see the blocks in a straight row across. And if they're not right there and he's like creating his thing, I'm like, oh, let me yeah. help you put that into alignment. And it's like, no, it's perfect as it is. And so I've had to observe myself wanting to do that and then back off and not do it. And so for me, that's where things like the meditation, but breath work in particular has served me to be able to like, when I want to say that, I take the pause, right? I just yeah. take that inhale and that exhale. And then I say, hmm, is it necessary? And more often than not, it's not, right? Yeah. Because it's like me wanting to show him how it should be. And some things that's important to do, yes, without question, but a lot of things, no. And so, yeah. um, because it's I think we It's not a safety can... issue as well. You know, it's yeah. not a safety issue, is it? No, that's exactly right. Because that becomes a big question. You know, you, discipline can also lead to becoming like a control freak, right? And that has attendant to it, I believe, anxiety, right? There's, there's anxiety that comes with it. Like you said, if, if things aren't exactly where they are, what do I do? I'm like, I'm lost at sea. But really life is, is wide open. And it's, it's the ability to be able to adapt to a given situation as it is, that is the real magic of life. And so it's, it's like this dance, right? Where you've got to create the, the ability, like I said, to create the foundational pillars, but stay open. And the more I've learned to do that, I believe it's serving my son as well. Because um, yeah. Yeah, the discipline can become a detriment. There's no doubt. Totally, totally. And how, sorry, how old is your little one? He's now three years and three months. Oh, yeah. So you're, you're fully in the fun stage. I yeah. Love, I love that. Because ours, uh, Indy, is our youngest. Two and a half. He's going to be two and a half shortly in the next month. But I love, same with my oldest, who's seven. Yeah, I really enjoy the 18 months to, I mean, it's all great. But yeah. 18 months to four that yeah. phase is just because their their words are coming. You have conversations. The imagination's blowing up, and they can you can take them out biking and do all these activities, and it's such a fun thing. But you're right, the dance. That's exactly what it is. It's a there's the push and the pull. You know, yeah. Oh, we have a little stubborn. He's stubborn. Like he's a strong will. He's got a strong mm. will. Mm. So like just knowing how to work with that and flow with it, so you're not pushing back too much. So that he's right. safe and he's like, he's eating, he's napping and he's doing all the things he needs to do. But yeah, it's a tricky dance sometimes. It is. It's very nuanced, right? It's yeah. like most things. It's we, we tend to, those who like routine, it's like, it's black and white, right? And it's like, life is gray. And it's yeah. like saying, just being willing to, to move into that space where there are the textures and the, the subtleties and the ways of saying, okay, yeah, because it's, it's important to be willing to be adaptable. And, enjoy, and I find too, enjoying it. And being, you know, being open to learn and always looking at myself it's because often it's like, hang on a minute, maybe he's just reacting to my energy right now because I had a really frustrating day. And so sometimes, you know, the great thing when you do have a partner that you're raising kid with, I think, is that you can lean on each other. And if you're not feeling that great, or you're feeling the tension. It's just like, you know what? I'm just going to step away. Happened last night. I was like, OK, I've said goodnight, you know, mom, over to you because I'm, I'm, I'm just going to get frustrated and it's not going to help. The, yeah. the energy of putting him to bed you know so how do you get you time because you come mm. from meditation and health and fitness 
do you have a routine like daily day day-to-day routine that you lean into like how do, I do you do that? because you know i'm a big believer in self-care and you know that's one of the things that we you know work on as uh, as a part of what i share with fathers is saying me time is essential. It's not selfish because, you know, again, if you're filling your own cup, you're going to have more to share with others. So for me, I do it first thing in the morning. And what I mean by that is I wake up extra early uh, while my son and my partner are still sleeping. And I get up and I do my meditation and do my breath work. I do. Ooh, hang on a minute. You got a yeah. three-year, three-year-old. So what time is he getting up? <laughs> That's a good question. He usually is getting up these days, I would say around seven. It's between seven and eight. Oh, that's not too bad. No, because I was thinking, bad. what what time are you getting up? Well, that that's it, let's go there. I was getting up for about a year at about three three thirty a.m. No, yeah, it's, which is kind of extreme, you know. But let's not kid ourselves. But to me, that's how important that me time was. It was like I will sacrifice a little bit of the traditional sleep model to be able to get up, to be able to meditate so that when they wake up, I'm as grounded and centered and present as I possibly can be. Because if you wait till later in the day, the day is already going to do what it's going to do. And very often we're going to be in the fight or flight mode in terms of the brain waves, the nervous system, and our ability to be calm is not nearly going to be as accessible as it is if we come from that space right out of the gates right. and so it doesn't have to be as long as what i do i like to be, i like to give myself about two hours of me time in the morning uh, with a variety of different practices but it doesn't have to be that way for everybody because it can be much what a, more what i call you know micro doses yeah, of, yeah, of yeah. any of those things just so you get a little bit of it but this is another example of where discipline becomes detriment because i realized after about a year of that that I was just running on fumes as well, just energetically at the midpoints of the day, I was like, I'm falling asleep. You know, and it's not that I was necessarily short and emotionally, I was just really, really tired and feeling exhausted. So I made some tweaks and shifted when I woke, wake up till now, it's around 4.30, three days a week and about 5 a.m., two days a week. Right. That's good to hear. I, yeah, I've been trying to do, well, you know what? I haven't been successful. He's tricky. He's just shifted into, well, he's 5.30. He's just shifted to six o'clock wake up. So doing a five o'clock, which I've been thinking about trying. Mm. Or even I get up at, so we both get up at six and one of us takes charge of the little one. If take charge is, is the wrong way to put that. But <laughs> you know what I mean? Somebody's I bo- bottom lining being the parent while the other one, one goes for a run and a meditation or something like that. Because I've been, trying, been playing with like, is it the evening to get me time? I love the evening. Yeah. I often don't have the, I want to be writing or reading or doing something like that in the evening. Mm, I like that. So have you tried the evening routine or is it the morning thing? Just, you just feel like you have to be up before everybody else and ground yourself. Yeah. That's, that's for me. I've found that to be most effective. And I, and I think everybody kind of operates in different waves and there are some people who are more evening based in their practices. Yeah. I think what's most important is figuring out where it works for you, but get it in because it's the consistency of the action that matters. It's not so much, you know, necessarily like, does it have to be morning or evening saying, Figure out what works for you as an individual, but then show up for yourself. Um, And if you find you're an evening person, but you're always coming up with excuses, 
perhaps you got to turn over another stone. That's you know? true. That's very true. I think you're right. Yeah. Just that's what it, we're exactly doing that right now because yeah, we're just to, for the balance in life, trying to find a schedule weekly. That means that we both know that we're going to get our own time. And I think for me, it's like, it could be even half an hour. That would work. You know, totally, totally. Just, just for that quiet mind, maybe do a run for 20 minutes, 10 minute meditation, something like that. Yeah. So here's a question though, you know, cause we talk about, we talk about everything under the sun. Um, you know, there's no sort of topic that we won't touch, but yeah. for us, one of the things that comes up and um, I feel like we need to have this conversation again is that we take, you know, we're really, really focused on work and our activities and maybe connecting with our friends and then time with our kid, both of us then having our own time with the kid. I feel like the nurturing our relationship, which is great. We're solid, but still we don't, it's at the bottom of the list. Mm. I feel like we need to bring it, bump it up a little bit. How do you guys find time together? Do you get that time in the evening or do you have you know, date nights or anything? Yeah, we have not. And so you bring up a very important point because I do believe it's essential for the overall quality of the household, so to speak, to have it. And that's something we've talked about needing more of because our situation is such that Neither of our families have been here in California for the first three years of raising our son. So it's pretty much just been us raising our son. And they say it takes a village, right? So many couples have that opportunity to say, okay, can grandma, grandpa, or somebody come over and take while we get out and have a date night, if you will. We haven't done much of that. And so we're now saying to ourselves, we've got to figure out how to do more of that. And even if we don't have the opportunity yet to do the full date night experience, it's consciously choosing throughout the day to connect. Like we'll literally hold each other and hug for, you know, three nice, long, deep breaths where we just like, you know, say, I love you or whatever it is. Um, just to remind ourselves how important that relationship is, because I think it's very normal to find the relationship of the parents to fall to the bottom of the list. And um, so, yeah, yeah, I applaud you guys for just revisiting it. Because just, even have- to, just even, yeah, like you say, acknowledging it to each other and yes. being like, hey, we need to do this. And, and I know that, you know, it's nice to be together as a family, all of us together at the table eating is one thing, mm. but it's still, yeah, not that time just together, which is really important. And just to remember why you came together in the first place. That's exactly right. Get and talk the hopes the and dreams and all that kind of stuff and coming back to it. It's really, really important. One neat little thing. It's like you just said, it's, it's the family, but thing we do every night is as we're falling, getting ready to go to bed is we, we always say, what are you most grateful for? Oh, that's and good. so we're laying in bed and, you know, I'll say something, Liz will say something, and Sky will say something. And we could even be having moments because I tend to get a little grumpy at night. It's one of those things, just if I get up so early, I, you know. Um, you just want to go to sleep at that point. Yeah, I just want to go to sleep. But um, he, he, sometimes my son will sense that, you know, just be like, what are you grateful for, Dad? You know, and just hearing it in that tone of voice, it's like a, an immediate mood change. So That's just having whatever, whatever are like the rituals that a family wants to design, I think are important to have. That's not, yeah, the rituals, I like that because they're yeah. so important for family, yeah. I think. So in terms of um, being a conscious dad, in a nutshell, yeah. what is a conscious dad? 
To me, a conscious dad is one who is aware of what he's thinking, what he's speaking, and what he's acting as it relates to his fathering. And what I mean by that is saying, is what I'm about to think, speak, or do going to be coming from a loving, supportive place? Or is it going to be coming from an egoic, primal space, if you will? That's because they say, you know, in the, in the, the, the way the brain works is more often than not, 95% of the time, the subconscious mind is actually at the helm. And that's where we're going to say things that are, are coming from things from the past, from our childhood. And so it's, it's doing conscious dad is somebody who's going to do the work on himself, right? I often call it a work in, right? Because so many men are used to doing workouts and I love workouts, right? The physical practices, but the, the work on themselves to, to be willing to, to sit in some stillness and let stuff come up, right? Let stuff come up that needs to be addressed in such a way that I can soften the intensity that I'm going to bring to any given moment with my child so that I'm just, I'm just present. So a conscious dad to me, in a nutshell, coming back to it, is a dad who is, is growth-centric, right? Trying to be in that space. It's called you know, a growth mindset as opposed to a fixed mindset. So he's growth centric. Uh, more often than not, he's leading with love as opposed to ego. And these are kind of the pillars of what a conscious dad ultimately is about. Um, he holds fatherhood as sacred. And what I mean by that is I've already talked about it. There's a reverence for the experience and bringing some form of spirit to it, right? What, however you want to connect with a, a higher source, if you will, there's some element of a reverence for that which we call fatherhood. Um, and ultimately sees our child as a teacher, right? It's like a reminder that, you know, our essence is we come to this planet as these curious, wonderful, um, playful, loving, connecting beings, right? And a child is, is, is there. And somehow life has like put on so many layers of crap on so many of us. So if we have doing, done all those other things I talked about it, done the work on ourselves, we're going to be willing to look at our child as as much our teacher as we are theirs, and that's super important, I believe, when, when, we, when we attempt to do our best at a, at a job that is like off the charts, what I'm going to say, difficult. Yes, rewarding, but it's so difficult. So it's kind of like those main things that you're going to bring to the table as a conscious dad. Yeah. So what are, you, what are some of the difficulties that you find just on a practical level of being a dad? Like how's the sleep been? Yeah, it's tough, you know, and, and by the way, and that changes at different stages, right? I mean, so like, I believe when you first, you know, uh, uh, like a, a father of a newborn, forget about sleep. It's like, in general, that's, that's definitely a challenge is to say, Ooh, and if you had patterns and routines, I believe there's a period of time that you have to like, let that take a back seat. And your job is to be a supportive 
as you can of the child, certainly. And if you're fortunate enough to have a partner in the case, be as supportive as you possibly can. And you got to be willing to let some of that stuff go. But sleep is definitely a challenge. Um, as is, like you said, if you have a partner finding the partner time and there are people who do that a lot better than I do. And I'm, that's one of those things that I stay open to and say, I have to do better. Um, time management is also a, a challenge and a difficulty, right? Being able to say, I, I have all these things as an entrepreneur I want to do. Yeah. But I got to figure out where they fit in the equation. And, and that you takes, guys are working at home too, right? Right. Plus COVID pandemic. Like how's yeah. that been? You guys have literally been in the home together yeah. while working, it's while tough. daycaring. Yeah. It's tough, man. It, there's no doubt about it. That's been a challenge. We're fortunate that we both kind of, you know, when one is feeling flustered, the other's calm. We've been in this interesting dance and able to help bring the other person back to that homeostasis, which has been amazing. So where it's pushed a lot of people over the edge, I think yeah, we've been able to balance each other out. It did initially affect our son. There's no doubt about it. He went, yeah. we, we noticed him having some social anxiety. Like anytime we would go out, he did have some really good buddies prior to the pandemic and the lockdown that he loved to be around. But then once that all came to pass, he actually had no interest, vehemently had no desire to be with his best friends. And it was, there was a period of, of transition as things started, started to lighten up, if you will, in terms of restrictions, where we were kind of like, hmm, what's this going to do? And he ultimately, it just naturally took care of itself. But it was interesting to watch because yeah. we were like, whoa, where'd this come from? Right. Because so, we're meant to connect, you know, we're meant to connect and it's been a tough time. It's super tough. So how, any practical things that work for you working from home? If you're both working from home, do you have very separate spaces? Can you get away from the family when you're working or are you well, on top of each other? Yeah. Well, when we were in lockdown, it was a lot more challenging uh, because one would go in the bedroom and the other one would be out in the living room with oh, our yeah. son. Right. So it was kind of, but you could still kind of hear it. You'd have to yeah. put your headphones on and do it because you know we had a smaller space. So during lockdown, it was an unusual situation. But now that things have opened up and you can go to playgrounds, typically, if one is working, the other one will, will take Sky out, take our son out and get him in nature. Because I firmly believe that we need to get our kids in near and outdoors educator. The more we can get our not only ourselves, but our kids out in nature, um, the better. So whenever possible, that's the practical advice is like assuming restrictions allow you to do that wherever you yeah. live. Get outside, take your kids out, whether it's playgrounds, going to kids museums, whatever it is, going for hikes, getting down to, if you're fortunate to be near a beach, whatever, but get them in nature as much as we possibly can. Yeah. I've always found it way easier when, when the, when both the kids, they're outside, there's something about being outside playing with sticks and stones and getting in the water as well. Anything yeah. like that is really good. And like, I took over organizing play dates too, interestingly enough. Oh yeah? So it's like, because that's huge. And I believe it's an important part of being a father is the willingness to do that. I don't think that should fall if it's a, if it's a male, uh, a man-woman relationship, that it should fall on, on the mother to do that type of stuff. And too often I think it is. So it's like, yeah, I, we have- do you, do you find it easy to, as a dad, do you find it easy to find other dads or are you- equally reaching out to mums as well. 
And so most of the play dates that I arrange are with the mother that, you know, we're, we're both friends with. And so yeah. I'll say, Hey, would you want to get together with us at the park? And they're way open to the idea of getting their kids out for the very reasons we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I have recently been encountering fathers at the parks who are more willing than I would have expected to exchange numbers because it's like, that's one of those things I like to challenge myself to do as well is to be willing to say, Hey, would you want to exchange numbers just to get our kids together at some point? Sadly, it is awkward, right? And it's not the norm and it's uncomfortable, but I personally am challenging myself to do more and more of that and have found some fathers who are open to doing that, which is great. Um, But in the beginning, it was hard. It wasn't, it was not something that was um, on the table. It doesn't feel the most natural thing. I got to say, even to me, like I enjoy it, but it's just when I got me and my kid, it's just like, we'll go do something. It's not my first instinct to pick up the phone and and there are other guys around with young kids now in our town here. But yeah, it's funny, isn't it? How that works. Yeah. And I found too, like, cause I was also often taking our son to different classes before the pandemic, like going to, you know, music class or whatever it is, or gymnastics. And many times I was the only father there with their child. It was, you know, 90, 95%, you know, still um, even in this day and age in LA, I would imagine there was a lot of guys out. I was shocked to find that there were not as many fathers as I would have expected to be there. And you know, again, you're like, even in LA, you're right. Because it's like, kind of like, what, what do you do? Because it's like, at any point you'll see people doing the stairs or whatever it is you're like, but for some reason in these classes, just not as many fathers were present. Huh. So that was an interesting reality too. So have you found yourself, have you built like, an, do you have any kind of men's outside of the work that you do? Yeah. I mean, do you have any kind of men's group or, buddies that are kind of in the same boat? Yeah, not as many as I would like. I have friends and, you know, some have, let me say majority of my friends have kids, but most of them are older kids. So it's not like the same age. And um, it's, it, that in and of itself creates some challenges to get together. And because, you know, kids, not Just everybody. practical thing, isn't it? With nap correct. times, they go to bed earlier than the, yeah, the teenagers or whatever. Yeah. And I, and I do believe it's important though, to like, to try to find the fathers who have kids at a similar age. I've found that just helps the patterning, if you will, because they're far more understanding of, like you just said, the time commitments, why you can't show up, at, you know, past eight o'clock at night or whatever it is. Totally. Because that does create a kink, you know? Yeah, we talk about it it's for a while. We kind of, you got to accept that your friends are going to be the parents of the other kids that get on with your kid at the same, at the right age. And that's just kind of how it is. Whether that's the, it be at the yes. soccer field or wherever it is, right? Yeah. And so occasionally, you know, we'll get together as, as men together, but not necessarily like get our kids together. We just kind of like we'll go out and grab a bite to eat or whatever it is yeah. just to connect and, and do that. But not as much as I would, I would have thought it's that's where I fall down. I would say that's where I fall down. If I have to give up any part of my life, probably the effort to socialize and reach out to other dad, honestly, to other dads yeah. has been the, the thing that's dropped by the wayside. Yeah. Probably, I... probably just after nurturing the relationship with my partner, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, right? just the time. It's just the time that we have in the day and the week. It, um, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to find time to do everything. It is hard, man. Um, so listen, if you could whisper into your ear before 
being a dad. So like you're an expectant father. So if you could go back and give yourself a piece of advice at that beginning time, what do you think you would say? Go easy on yourself, right? What I mean by that is um, I'm somebody who holds myself to very high standards of conduct on so many levels. And I think that's a great thing, but at the same time, um, it can, it can cause issues, right? When it comes to your ability to be present, if standards aren't being met, you can drop out of your, your leave your heart and go into your head way too much. And to recognize that this path of fatherhood is, is a road that is going to have tremendous twists and turns, right? Tremendous twists and turns. And you're going to do the best you can. I believe most of us are attempting to do that and to be kind and gentle with yourself along the way. Because again, it's not about perfection. It's just about the intention. Where's what's the heart space you're coming from as you're trying to parent. Um, And just continually reconnecting with that. You know, come back to the intention, come back to the intention, let go of the need for it to fit into the box. And I would say, become as willing to surrender to adaptability as you possibly can, because I think that's where I'm finding um, the greatest peace of mind comes from, is just allowing myself to be um, flexible flexible because it's, I I think it's not only serves me, but it serves in this case, my son, if he sees me being flexible, um, he's going to learn to be that as well and adaptable. So, yeah, totally. They very much mirror what they see, don't they? Yes. And energetically too. So, so as becoming a dad, this has really led you to be a conscious, to do the conscious dad work that you're doing now. So is that your main gig now doing the conscious dad? Yeah, it is. You know, it's coaching other fathers who, you know, want to kind of dive into this type of work and um, just, you know, recognizing that I don't know that there's been enough of it. Thankfully, there, it's growing. This men's it work seems to be, but it's still small. I agree. It's still small. Yeah, there's there's been a lot of stuff for 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 mothers along the road, but fathers, there hasn't been as much. I'm, like I said, I do believe there is. Um, an uprising and more of it is taking place, which I'm really happy to see, but I still don't think there's enough of it for all the reasons we're talking about right now. Even we're discovering that we're not really putting ourselves into those communities, if you will, of other fathers enough, because I believe it is something that we can, we can all help each other along the way, because we're all going to have, you know, if we meet somewhere in the middle, we're going to all have different experiences that we could share with each other. And that, that, that tribe or that village is something that I believe even those of us who kind of like to fly solo, really that's, our essence and, you know, we're meant to connect and sometimes we we're not even aware of it. And so, you know, it's, it's creating a place for when a father is ready to, to step into a field where he's seen, you know, he's just, he's held and somebody says, I know where you are, man. And you're in a safe space to hold space for fathers to, to be emotional, to share what's on their heart Um, to express the difficulties that they're feeling and the joys and the victories um, and to give them certain skills 
to navigate when it feels like things are going off the rails, like we started this whole conversation with. I just feel it on my heart that it's a calling and and I love the work. I flat out love coaching fathers and, and just being there in whatever way is called for with each individual. So do you do, and is it, do you do one-on-one online or is it in person groups or how, how is it structured in that way? Yeah. Ultimately it will be both presently. It's all online and it's a combination. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. With COVID. So it's, you know, it's one-on-one work virtually kind of like what we're doing right here. And there are also group opportunities where I'll do group coaching programs on meditation, breath work. And um, similarly, they're online. But prior to COVID lockdown and now as things are starting to open up, uh, retreats and uh, in-person gatherings also take place. So it's, it's, it's ultimately going to be a combination yeah, yeah. of the virtual and the live in-person stuff. Well, listen, I'm so glad to have connected to today and heard some yeah. of your story. And um, I will be putting in the show notes all about Conscious Dads. And uh, I will be following you on Instagram. And I have actually, I should say too, I think you have a free, when you sign up, you get a free, what do you get? You get something free. I've got something yeah. free and I haven't looked at it yet. Right, it's a, it's, it's a breathing practice. So it's a series it. of breathing videos that are all about like, just what we call self-regulating and bringing somebody back in balance so that when, if they're feeling amped up, agitated, it's going to calm them down a bit. But if they're feeling really low and lethargic, a little depressed, it'll lift you up. And it's just a tutorial and a practice of this one particular breathing technique that somebody can use. So it's a great taster for what they can get more of with conscious dads, right? That's exactly right. That's brilliant. what What we need more of for sure. Amen, man. Hey, man, great to see you. Thanks Likewise. so much. I will see you on Instagram and keep, yes, continue sure. to follow you. Yeah. And um, yeah, we'll take care and enjoy the rest of uh, the day because you're going to need to go to sleep soon because you've got an early morning. <laughs> right? That's the truth, Lou. That's it's awesome. been, it's been a real pleasure talking to you, man. Bye-bye. So today's debrief is with Sean Larson. Really excited to have him joining the show. And this is a quick introduction. We're just jumping straight into the conversation about postpartum depression. I'm glad he could make the time. He will be coming back on the show in the next week or so. And I'll have a more in-depth introduction with him um, about some of the work he's been doing. But really glad that he could make it today. So please enjoy uh, this debrief with Sean Larson. Hey, Sean, how you doing? Good. How are you doing? Can you hear me? I'm good. You're coming in loud and clear. And uh, hey, man, thank you for squeezing this in. You, I know you're a busy man. You've got a busy day. <laughs> Just squeeze it in on your lunch break. Always, always. Good. <laughs> well, thanks, buddy. Um, yeah, same over here. It's one of those days here as well. Um, so yeah, I'm glad we could squeeze this in. Because I really, I'm looking forward to us chatting in more depth um, in the next, I think, next week or the week after. But in the meantime, I really wanted to ask you, um, because with a few dads, it's been coming up, you know, they're going through about a depression at some point. And it got me thinking about postpartum depression in men. And I've heard on, a, on some other podcasts, and I've very quickly had a search for other studies And it seems like it is a thing. It might not be very common, but certainly something I read was one in 10 men can go through postpartum depression. So what do you know about that? 
Yeah, I think those are similar numbers to what I've seen about um, one in 10 men. Um, and I would guess it's probably, I would say it's higher than that. I think a lot of men's mental health issues are usually a little bit higher because there's this reporting bias and that men often feel less comfortable. And especially when you talk about fatherhood, where I think part of assuming that father role is sometimes taking on the stress of the family and giving up some of your own stresses or not showing your own stresses to others. And so I would say, especially in that transition to fatherhood, where where part of being a father is being strong and protecting and looking out for the family, it's probably less likely that men are inclined to say, hey, I'm really having a hard time with this. And so how, how does it show? Like if you've got postpartum, like how is it coming out? And is it something that is like a short-term thing? Like are we talking a few days or a few weeks? I'm sure there's variables, but yeah. What could you say about that? Well, I think it, I mean, it would show much like any other depression and that, I mean, the, the telltale markers, obviously the drop in mood, shifts in sleep, um, shifts in appetite, uh, activities that you used to enjoy, you don't enjoy as much, you don't engage in those activities, like you don't feel motivated to do the things you used to enjoy doing quite as much. Um, sometimes associated with more thoughts of death or suicide, but definitely I think that sadness piece being key. Uh, I think sometimes within masculinity, though, that sadness piece can show up a little bit more as frustration and irritability and just constantly feeling uh, overwhelmed and like the world is a little bit too much for you. I know speaking to a lot of depressed men over the years, that frustration and irritability seems to be a big part of that, too. But yeah, I think it shows up like any other depression. What's unique about it is obviously the timing of it and the you know, postpartum and then usually postpartum and, and peripartum. So through pregnancy and before the birth of the child, that's also a period where there's that it appears to be an increased risk of depression as well, certainly towards the, the later part of that pregnancy. Uh, and then in the period after the birth of the child. Right. Can I remember once, and I've mentioned this before on the podcast, within a few days after the birth of my first boy, who's eight now, so going back a few years, I remember completely collapsing like, and I hit it a couple of times. I hit it and I just complete, and I, it was weird. It was uncontrollable. Like a wave just hit me and I just completely fell apart, but I locked myself away in the bathroom. And then there was one time when I couldn't, I, again, it was a wave and I couldn't control it. And it just happened straight there in front of my, um, my kid's mom. And she, she kind of held, held me in her arms and was like, you know, it's going to be okay. But it was just, it, I've never had, a feeling like that where you just, it's like somebody just switch on a light bulb. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm just melting. Yeah. Weirdest thing. And then it didn't happen again. And that was a few within a few days after the birth of my first boy. And yeah, it happened like two, three, I think three times. And then yeah, not again. I was, yeah. yeah, it was this weird sensation. Anyway, I just thought I'd share that. Totally. Well, I remember, yeah, I remember calling my older brother um, soon after the birth of my first child and being like man I had the most horrible panic attack uh the other night and he's like oh you too like I I experienced that as well and then I've talked to a, num a, a number of fathers too who I I think your emotional experience um and just your emotions in general can change so much um as you move into fatherhood um that I, I think it's probably not the case for everyone but certainly for some people it experiences as these extreme things right 
Yeah. Do you, so what are things that we can do as men to prepare? Like if we're feeling that emotion and that we're feeling those waves of emotions, like what can we do about that? Um, well, it probably depends on what exactly you're experiencing. Cause I, I would say, you know, to kind of switch off of that just for a second to talk about kind of where it comes from. Um, it's such a complex one because there are so many different things changing in men's lives around fatherhood that could be influencing um, where like a postpartum depression could come from, right? Because, you know, historically when people talked about postpartum depression, there was this huge biological element to it because we were talking about, you know, largely like hormones shifting in mothers. Um, and, and now I think it's broadened a bit to just talk about, you know, there's huge shifts in social roles, huge shifts in responsibilities, like ev everything changes for people. And so, you know, when you talk about like, what do we do about it? It's, it's really a tough one to answer because there could be so many potential things impacting where it comes from. Like, there's some fascinating stuff that happens with um, men's hormones, even for example, right. And, and let's say um, those depressive feelings are, coming out of uh, more of a hormonal thing, uh, then maybe that's the place you need to be targeting. I, I think for most men though, what we would say generally seems to help in a depression would probably generally help with a postpartum depression, which is you know, building things that have been rewarding in the past or will be potentially rewarding to you into your day, um, which I would say is huge because oftentimes in fatherhood, sometimes you just lose yourself to this new role and all of a sudden you know, you're not sleeping, uh, you feel this guilt sometimes when you're out of the family, you stop doing a lot of these things that in the past have been patterned to be really rewarding for you. Uh, and to me, that seems the most obvious culprit for, for a lot of people. An easiest place to start is um, start scheduling things that are going to be rewarding to you. And especially as that relates to connecting and normalizing and uh, connecting with other men, if that's something that I know... Um, it was really helpful for me after the birth of my second child, we just moved back for me to start my PhD. Uh, and I was really struggling just because of all the massive changes. And I look back and, and think how helpful it was to just call up somebody and go for a walk with another dad that I knew. I found that super helpful for me. So I think scheduling in things that are rewarding and then taking care of your basic care as much as you can. So sleeping, eating, doing all those things so that you're able to manage that. Yeah, I think that's a really good Good point. I mean, I, I got to say, I'm just thinking as you're talking right now, we've been, this household has been sick and not COVID, but I'm just talking like cold, snotty nose. My kid, I can hear him napping next door and he's coughing all through the night. And I ha I feel like I haven't done anything for two weeks. And yesterday I said to my partner, because I've been sick too, I was like, I'm losing it. Like, and I haven't felt like this all through lockdown. We've been fine. We've been healthy and we've been, we live in a great place with easy access to the outdoors but I haven't done anything. So I'm just, I haven't been on a bike like in a few weeks and I'm just like, I'm going crazy. And so I just, you're so right on that. I think even moving past postpartum, it's like, you just need to look after yourself on a day to day. And it's great as well, actually, Adam Brewer from Conscious Dads, like that's what he's doing. Mike Simon, who's just been, I interviewed this week, same thing. They get becoming men's coaches and supporting men in these ways. And it, it's almost more acceptable now as a man to reach out to these coaching courses and men's groups and things. And maybe that's why the podcast has been getting really great reception from dads and 
dads are loving coming on and talking about their experiences because it's what we need more than ever, I feel like. Yeah, well, and I think too, maybe for some dads, adjusting expectations uh, of what those rewarding activities are going to look like for you. Because I think, you know, prior to prior to becoming a father, you know, the way you structure your activity or recreation is going to be really different to after you're a dad. And so if your idea of, you know, I get out with the guys because I go on these weekend trips or I do these things or I have to go for, you know, however long it is when I'm biking or skiing or jogging or whatever, um, you wouldn't even think to go for a 10 minute walk, right? Because that's just not what you would have done before. You would have done something maybe a little bit different. And so, you know, coming into fatherhood and having to adjust those expectations and be like, yeah, it is harder to do um, some of those things, but I can still bring in some of the meaningful aspects and some of the things that I might not even have known were rewarding to me into some of the stuff I'm doing now, like going for a walk with a friend for 10 minutes versus going for a two hour bike ride or whatever it was. Yeah. hundred percent. That's so true. Even now I'm like that. It's you're so right. And I'm a few years in, but I'm like, yeah. if I can't go and have an epic day at the ski hill, you know, but it's true. Like, a, you know, maybe it's a couple of hours instead and that's enough now. Yeah. But, and on the back, on the back end of that, um, what I'm thinking too is conversations that we have in our household is supporting the mom in that way too. Like, I feel like I have to support and help with her schedule as much as mine. Like it's a back and forth thing. Um, whether it be meditation, have you done your meditation today or have you done your yoga practice or, and checking in on each other as a team, I find certainly in our household. Yeah, and probably being honest with your needs too, and that everybody's going to need different things. I remember like doing um, the research that I did talking to fathers about that transition to fatherhood. Um, there was sometimes this guilt uh, that fathers would talk about where they were like, yeah, and I just need to do these certain things. And then I'd put that on my partner and say, well, I'm, you know, I need to go do this thing for work or do this thing for whatever I'm doing to still feel really valuable and kind of who I am. So I think you should do something similar and, and being open to the fact that, you know, partners might say, well, I don't actually need exactly that. And I think as long as you're open with exactly what you need and some, you know, whether you're the father or the mother in this scenario, um, I'm sure there's a huge variety between everybody of what it takes for you to feel fulfilled as a person and try to be in touch with that and open to the, what works for you might not work for your partner too. Actually, another conversation we've been having just that prompts me is I'm more of an introvert. She's more of an extrovert. I don't need to go out to a party or go socializing necessarily. Right at some point, yes, but not on a regular basis in the same way that she does. So we, have, we do have different needs in that way. And we've just been identifying that in the last few months. Because um, lockdown, I was like, yo, I'm good. I do my podcast, I get to connect. I've got you and my family. I'm, you know, but for her now, she's like, yeah, she needs that, you know, the people time more than me anyway. Um, hey, Sean, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts. I know you're a busy man and you've got some stuff coming up right now. So I'm really looking forward to talking more about your dissertation though, in a couple of weeks here about, well, do you want to share what that dissertation is? Give people a little teaser. Yeah, so my, my PhD research looked at uh, men's transition to fatherhood, but quite specifically, it looked at their experiences of masculinity uh, through that transition to fatherhood and kind of from the premise of um, what it means to be a man or what it, what society uh, believes is a good man, kind of these dominant models of being a man. 
uh, are a little bit different from the modern dominant models of what it means to be a good father. And so that, whereas in the past being a good father was being a good man, they ran fairly parallel to each other that maybe nowadays there are some places where there's a little bit of conflict between being a good father and being a good man, especially when we look at newer models of fatherhood, like a nurturant modern father who's expected to be more connected emotionally to their child. This is in a little bit of conflict in some ways with some previous models of being a good man in society. So that's what my research looked at. Great. Well, I'm really looking forward to diving into that and finding out about you as a dad too. Um, but yeah, I'll let you go. And um, yeah, thanks so much for squeezing this time in. And uh, we'll talk again in the next couple of weeks here. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Blue. Okay, man. Bye. Speak soon. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed the show, please do share and subscribe and leave a rating or an even better, a review, wherever you listen to your podcast. Please find us on Facebook and Instagram at Dab Without Borders. And a full list of episodes can be found at dabwithoutborders.com. Thanks for supporting the show. And we'll see you next time.